Warning, the following podcast you are about to listen to contains hacked information. <laughs> we, we are Villain for All Seasons. This is episode seven. I'm Dan. And I am Ben. Thanks for joining us again. We, we have an exciting show this week, but Ben, can you talk about that? How, why this might be banned on Twitter? Yes. So journalist Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone. Uh, friend of the show. Out, friend of the show came out with a piece, I believe last week, that revealed BBC and Reuters had been basically running like a PSYOP. So this is an article from Max Blumenthal uh, for the Gray Zone. The Headline for the article is Reuters, BBC, and Bellingcat participated in covert UK foreign office funded programs to, quote, weaken Russia, leaked docs reveal. New leaked documents show Reuters and BBC's involvement in covert UK FCO programs to affect, quote, attitudinal change and, quote, weaken the Russian state's influence alongside Intel contractors and Bellingcat. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack with this that we don't really have time to go through all of it. Yeah, basically it showed that everything you've been hearing about Russiagate has been uh, committed against Russia and continues to be, um, which, you know, for anybody following American statecraft or UK statecraft is not particularly surprising. But now we uh, have real proof here from you know, two of the largest media corporations in the world and, uh, you know, also considered two of the, you know, more reputable ones. So that was a real bombshell report anyway. And what happened was a few days later, there was a new setting on or a new, uh, what would you say, like a new trigger warning on Twitter. Yeah, yeah like saying, a notification that, that yeah. accompanied each post. Yeah, so accompanying each post, much like much like what we've seen with anything uh, that is COVID related, that's saying, you know, this contains information about COVID that may or may not be true. This, on the other hand, said for the first time ever that this uh, contains information that may be hacked. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, a lot to unpack there. Uh, the funniest bit, though, is that it actually got a lot more clicks because of that, for obvious reasons. Uh, Band book I, is always yeah, the bestseller, you know? It's more, yeah, it's more enticing that way. Um, that's why, yes, this uh, all the information coming to you from this podcast and henceforth every other podcast we ever do uh, contains leaked information because we, we need those clicks. We need those clicks. I, I want to go back to this leaking with hack materials. And then I also want to talk about that Alan McLeod uh, article that shows how this became more of a meme. So again, for some context, uh, when Max tweeted out this article, which showed that the UK foreign office, which is essentially, I guess, like the UK State Department, yeah. um, that would be our equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. It, showed them funneling money to the BBC, um, the British Broadcasting Network, and Thomas Reuters, uh, Reuters, and working to actively undermine the Russian state. Which, again, this is kind of like a, it's pretty obvious that like this has been happening, but it really does undermine um, what are so-called independent um, new sources. And also, this is something that we constantly in the West say that Russia is doing on their side. I, I don't know how how does someone parse this out? Yeah, again, it's just like 
I mean, this is what I've been saying and a lot of other people have been saying for years with the, uh, you know, with the Russiagate shit is there's this there's this immense amount of pearl clutching coming from the UK and especially from the US in the wake of Trump about like, oh, my God, they messed with our elections, which is, you know, try and say that to uh, somebody from Southeast Asia or South America or Africa or the Middle East without them, I guess, dying of laughter in the the hypocrisy of that statement. And it's, yeah, so it's uh, it wasn't terribly surprising. I think the reaction to it was more surprising, I suppose. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing bit of uh, leaked information and um, it's very important, but I think the more, and yes, it's very disturbing, blah, 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 blah you know, mm-hmm. oh my God. Um, but the more disturbing even is Twitter basically scrambling to try and uh, like get ahead of this. Yeah, people have even notified that when they would try to retweet the article, there would be a warning that this does contain hacked material as if by retweeting it, you would be somehow liable in some- I guess that's what it had to- Yeah, I guess that's what it had to be, right? Because again, I don't see how reading hacked material would like, who are these people who that's part of their moral compass to go like, oh, this is ill-gotten information? No, thank you, sir. Well, also, they did this with WikiLeaks, if you remember, back in um, the 2010s and all, but after that, that if you were even to go to the WikiLeaks site, there was some kind of vague threat that you would be tracked doing so do you remember that yeah it's a sort of you remember on like vhs's and dvds where they like that you would get from blockbuster or whatever where yeah, they yeah. would have that like you wouldn't steal a car yeah yeah. you wouldn't you whatever so why you know equating it with high crimes it, yeah. it sort of it sort of rings of that of just like just in case you were thinking about distributing toy story 2. it again brings up this um the distinction between what is hacked material and what is leaked material and increasingly so on social media, we are not allowed to see, quote, hacked material, unquote, because it's supposedly ill-gotten, as if it doesn't have some interest, some public interest to see this material. And also, again, this is what journalists do every day. They share leaked material from a whistleblower. Yeah, and who gives a shit if it's hacked? Like, again, it's like, what is it? Was it bad now? Did it spoil? Yeah, again, this is. Yeah. I think I think this is something we talk about with Kevin is just that, this is in the public interest. I mean, if it, it, like you said, if it's if it's hacked material, does that doesn't spoil what has been said, or that somehow this isn't happening? Yeah, and I think you, you must be right. I think it it has to be like sort of trying to scare people a bit, right, to make them to make them think they might be complicit in some sort of crime because that's the only explanation that makes sense to me. Because when I when I first saw that they did that, I was like, what kind of stupid ass idea is that? Like that? What are they trying to? Uh, appeal to people's moral character yeah. as if that's on anybody's you know if, as if anybody in the general public is that anti-hacking and then on that note you constantly see these social media platforms like starting to crack down on this but only in western interest uh and that brings up the, the other big story right. uh, about that which is twitter starts to ban accounts that quote undermine the faith of nato unquote and i think we've God mentioned forbid yeah i think we've mentioned on this podcast um really don't see the point of continuing NATO, which was started as a military alliance against the Soviet Union. So unless you really think Vladimir Putin is 
alongside Joseph Stalin and those people. Again, not a good dude, but I don't see why we need to keep this military alliance. Yeah, that's what this, uh, this reporting that uh, Max Blumenthal did is you know, showing that BBC and Reuters was actively trying to bolster support for NATO amongst other things. I mean, it, I guess it's not strange, but it's it's interesting that these uh, these restrictions or these, it's strange that they're giving the game away. It's, it's getting more yeah. and more specific, right? Before this, it was really uh, Palestine and Israel was the hot button issue. And, and like, you could kind of set your watch to how that was going to be reacted to by Twitter or Facebook. But now, now we're moving into NATO, which, is is strange too because like i mean at least from an american's perspective most americans i don't think give a shit about nato well they did and, when trump so-called tried to threaten nato even though he fulfilled the obama <laughs> initiative of getting the allies to actually commit more money to nato yeah the only thing trump did with nato was complain that we were paying too much for it which is what trump does about literally everything absolutely yeah <laughs> and again he got his wish he got the um, alliance members to contribute more money. Yeah, so, there you go. Uh, we won't go down that path because it is very frustrating. Um, yeah, we we should. Yeah, we should maybe do a deeper dive into this next week. But it's an important thing to keep watch on because it, this is more so, I would say, or it, it looks more like a canary in the coal mine rather than anything catastrophic in just this moment. But it, like, I think now that the seal has been broken for this, we're definitely going to be, see more of it one way or another, whether it's more things becoming hacked material or definitely going to see more of this NATO bullshit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it'll be, you know, this is just us saying we got here first, but <laughs> we got here second after the gray zone, close second. Yeah. Um, and yeah, be careful where you share this podcast afterwards. Yeah. And we're going to keep it but, on our radar. But, and I, I said this emphatically, share this podcast, like, subscribe, tell us that we're undermining NATO. That's it's the um, only reason we're doing this is for the shares. Um, speaking of under, uh, under, um, undermining Western values, Mr. Potato Head. Excuse me, Daniel? <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Um, well, Ms. or just Potato Head? It's, it's just Potato Head now. Uh, yeah, we're going to get real Joe Rogan here for a moment with some anti non-binary rhetoric. Some of you may have heard that uh, in a massive civil rights win, <laughs> Mr. Potato Head, the classic toy from 75 years ago, is uh, no longer Mr. and just Potato Head. Did we figure out if there's still Mrs. Potato Head? Yeah, or... they didn't clarify that. I thought, I, I would have thought Ms. Potato Head would have made, a, uh, made more sense because why she have to be defined by her marriage? Yeah. I think the real issue here is, uh, I think I think this is this is serious in that it's jumping the it's sort of jumping the uh, queue. You know, we have you know we're go we're going straight to the uh, how the uh, Mr. Potato Head uh, chooses to self-identify, and we're completely skipping over the racial issue between potatoes that has not been uh, that has not been solved. I mean, is is uh, potato head a Yukon gold? Is it a Vidolette? Is it a Rate? Is it a Laura potato? Is it a King Edward? A Kennebec? Is, is there a, russet is, in there somewhere? Is it a Melody? Is it a russet potato? Yeah. Looking over my potato list, is it a Duke of York? A Doré? So there's a lot <laughs> of questions to be answered. I think uh, the, this, is one, this is one comment we got on our uh, Instagram from a follower that, uh, you know, the real issue is how this is going to affect Toy Story 5. <laughs> I hadn't seen that comment yet. That's great. Yeah. I, 
you know, and again, I don't want to get Joe Rogan because uh, I don't have his kind of clout, but, you know, not to denigrate the non-binary movement, I guess, but uh, could we have healthcare, please? Like, could we, could we stop having cops killing black men? Could we have, like, could we have something else? It's like, it's like, it's like my fucking apartment's on fire and I'm worried that my coffee machine isn't working. I just, it was like, that wasn't the issue that needed to be solved. And who the fuck is buying Mr. Potato Heads? Again, it's a shitty toy that hasn't existed. I guess Toy Story has got to be the only explanation, right? Well, I mean, Mr. Potato Head was a character in Toy Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, but... But it hasn't been, like, there's no kids playing with Mr. Potato Heads. Right, right. And I mean, I think this is something we talked about in the pre-show. It's just, like, was Hasbro just trying to, like, do some preventative um, PR? You know, did they think they were going to be called out for this or something? No, they couldn't have. Come on. Unless somebody wanted to get laughed out of the room. I think it was a marketing ploy to try and bolster some sales. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. And again, like, right. this is very pro uh, whatever movement, you know, sexuality, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seems like a PR ploy. It's what everybody's talking about this week. We are talking about it on our podcast. So like, clearly, this is just a a wedge issue. Hasbro got what they wanted because you got the villain for all seasons bump. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, it, it just has to be that because again, like I had a Mr. Potato Head when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. I think because of Toy Story. And uh, the real issue here is that it's a shitty toy. It's not fun. Yeah, I don't even know what you're supposed to... You I put guess different faces some... on them and stuff. You could yeah. like... The mustache was the big deal, I guess. Yeah, you know, the mustache, yeah, I think different, different glasses, whether you wanted him to have stigmatism or not. But he couldn't move. He's a potato. He didn't have legs. He has a wife. But it's a stupid toy, Hasbro. And you should do better. I think yeah. this is the real issue. It's like, why don't you make a new or non-binary toy that doesn't suck? with legs or wheels. Wheels would be sick. That would have been more revolutionary. Mr. Potato yeah. Head now has wheels. That reminds me, we should um, give a shout out to our, our new producer, Joe, who is, is helping us with the show. We're really happy to have you. Joe, if you could somehow get this over to Hasbro, I think that'd be really, really um, some of the kind of the PR that we need. A nice ecosystem there. Um, we also we're, want to shout we're, out. we're open to endorsements too. Yeah. And we also want to shout Good out. Friendly show. We also want to shout out uh, Andrew. Andrew, we, we had a new design last week for everybody who saw that. So um, thanks, Andrew, for that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. So now that we are off of our Joe Rogan thing, I think um, this is something I want to just kind of like clear my desk, throw every, everything off and talk about this week. And that's Sleepy Joe bombing Syria. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. Did I actually you, uh, hate that, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got to stop saying it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not my fault. We all heard about it. Um, yeah. And for me, at least, mostly for memes more than anything else. So I'm glad that the, you know, the meme community is getting more, uh, getting more engaged in international politics. I think that's a win. But could you give a, a brief overview of what this bombing was? Yeah, sure. So um, everybody in the United States was enjoying a pretty quiet Thursday night before the Friday leading into the weekend. And news alerts suddenly came in that the, the U.S. has bombed Syria. And for the reason being that so-called Iranian-linked paramilitary groups in Iraq attacked. I, they Originally, it was um, contractors working in Iraq. And it, they tend to suggest that it was American contractor. But since then, it sounds like it was a, a Filipino contractor. Just to, just to back that all up again, the U.S. attacked... Syria over the border 
because so-called Iranian-linked paramilitary groups attacked um, contractors in Iraq. So if that doesn't um, tell you about the like bowl of spaghetti that is geopolitics in the Middle East right now, I, I don't know what, what else will. Um, but again, yeah. go ahead. And yeah, and just in case you were worried uh, that you know we might not get back into the Iran nucle nuclear deal, rest assured, we definitely will not. I mean, I feel like the yeah, just to go off on a tangent there for a moment. I mean, I feel like that that ship had kind of already sailed. But I felt like this was a nail in the coffin that it's definitely not going to happen, even though they were sort of claim weren't they they were claiming that it was not escalating tensions or it was like, I don't know how you could have a non escalating missile strike. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, again, this it just shows how um, the media is willing to like carry water for these people. They called the missile strike, missile strike, excuse me, precise. They called it tiny, a missile strike that blew up a few buildings, killed about 22 people. They called that tiny. Um, again, it goes back to that that language that we use during the drone, drone warfare of um, this is like a clean war. There's no extra casualties because of it. Because, you know, anytime you destroy infrastructure, it's not like it has any kind of residual effect. I was wondering if I could read off a couple tweets here that I'd seen about this. So this one is from April 14th, uh, 2018, mm -hmm. from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. Here's the profound danger of what we just did in Syria. The, quote, mad king president, that would be Trump, with majority disapproval of Americans, just decided to bomb a nation without the constitutional requirement of congressional approval. Democrats who take war money pass the laws allowing that. So there is a little silent shout out to uh, the Obama-Biden administration, I think, is the <laughs> Democrats who take war money. Um, but that aged well. I haven't heard anything from AOC yet on this. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Let's see. What else did we have? Shinsaki had a good one, I think. Oh, I, I hadn't seen her. Well, there was one more. This is a tweet from January 6, 2020, from Joseph Robinette Biden. Let's be clear. Donald Trump does not have the authority to take us into war with Iran without congressional approval. A president should never take this nation to war without the informed consent of the American people. You just gotta love it, folks. And I, I want to read this one from uh, Chinsaki. Um, this is from April 6, 2017. Also, what is the legal authority for strikes? Assad is a brutal dictator, but Syria is a sovereign country. Again, with, uh, I suppose, so much of what we talk about, the point is not exactly that this is a departure from normal U.S. foreign policy, right? I mean, that's, I think we could agree on that. Yeah, I think it's, it's, more the, it's more the hypocrisy. I mean, and, you know, of course, the dead Syrians and the fact that we're not going to see anything close to a uh, peace deal with Iran probably in our lifetimes. Yeah, which is really sad. You, I mean, it's also this media cover given to the Biden administration. Again, like I, I see this as front page news and not to say that it wasn't on front page, but it's like it was a really small column. Also on Thursday night, the Senate parliamentarian, I just want to make sure I'm getting that right, suggested, advised that they take out the $15 minimum wage. And everybody has just said, okay, no problem. 
we're we're just going to take that out so we can pass this COVID relief bill. Yeah, and I think I mean to go with this, and then also we should move on to talking about Saudi Arabia as well. But just as a as an overview of all of this, I guess the main the main point for me is that Biden is getting the political or like the media and political equivalent of having the bumpers out when you're playing when you're bowling. Yeah, you know he already is, and I see no reason for it to stop. Just getting the benefit of every doubt and getting. Just the, I mean, he, he's getting a free pass on literally every front that there could possibly be. Yeah. And it's like, it's exhausting. It's like, how long are we going to watch this? It's, and it's just going to get worse. I mean, this is one bombing and then it's going to be another and then another and another. And then 22 comes along and then you won't have the House or the Senate mm -hmm. and nothing will have gotten done. Yeah, I think before we get to Saudi Arabia, it's, it's worth mentioning the opening of the new detention facility on the border. Um, one that right. was actually closed, I think, during the Trump administration that Biden is now reopening. Um, and I was trying to understand during the week, like, what bothers me so much about this? You know, because every story you read, there is justification in every paragraph. You know, there's a surge to the border. So Biden can't necessarily, you know, grant amnesty to these people because if he were to do that, there is going to be an even bigger surge to the border. You know, we really have to keep an eye on these people for their own protection because if we just let them in, you know, it could spread COVID. Again, everything is couched and we justifying what the administration just did. During Trump, clearly that was not the case, this giving the benefit of the doubt. And I don't think that Trump deserves the benefit of the doubt, but I don't think either deserve the benefit of the doubt, especially in contrast to what we saw at media coverage during Trump. Yeah, and that's the th that's the thing that's so infuriating about all this. For I mean, for quite a few reasons. But going back to yeah, having the you know the bumpers out for Biden and he still manages to, you know, miss the pins is that like, you don't have to do this for him. You know, like I could understand it a little more with Hillary of, I, I mean, I didn't, but like with Hillary, there was this, there was the Hillary kind of this Hillary cult where people just like wanted to believe in her and stuff, but like no one ever believed in Biden. No one, like no one wanted him as the main candidate aside from, you know, normal people, not, um, not the democratic machine. So it's just kind of, and again, like the honeymoon's over, like we're all glad Trump has gone, that's great. But like, you, this is what I keep thinking is like, you don't have to be this deferential to him. Oh. You never liked him that much in the first place. He's a billion years old. You're not gonna hurt his feelings. Like, but there's just absolute whitewash every single, every single issue, no matter what. Yeah, and uh, just to bring it to Saudi Arabia, right before the strikes happened, Biden was on the phone with King Salman. And just for some context, friend of the show, King Salman. Friend of the show. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, King Salman, friend of the show, longtime listener. Um, so there's basically like a power, I, I don't know if you even want to call it a power struggle, but there is um, King Salman, who is the father of MBS, Mohammed bin Salman. Um, Mohammed not bin a Salman. friend of the show. Not a friend of the show, um, sanctioned by the show. Um, <laughs> MBS has um, a Jaron Kushner buddy. He's basically leading the, the war in Yemen. He, they tried to oust um, the Lebanese uh, leader because he's too deferential to Iran. Um, not a good guy, but really touted in the West, even by people like, the, like Thomas Friedman and publications like The Guardian when he first came into power as this great reformer. Clearly, oh, yeah. So, could we, could we just, yeah, for a bit of, uh, in case you've forgotten, just for a bit of context, MBS did a big, uh, he was actually, on, was he on the, uh, cover of Time Magazine with the line, charm offensive. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was supposed to be this great reformer a few years back and really did put on a charm offensive and everybody loved him. And his main thing that he was reforming was, I guess, he was letting, uh, like, it was, it was something about, like, letting women drive, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, huge step, Saudi. Well done. Though, though not allowing women to attend that Toby Keith concert. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm with MBS on this. I, I feel like that's a favor. <laughs> Toby Keith played in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe there's. Maybe we can um, on our Patreon episode. We can um, we can stream it. <laughs> what did he do? Did he just shout racial slurs at them the I, whole time? I really hope so. I really hope. Oh so. man. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously, MBS is um, as concluded by this Senate Intel report is um, killed. Uh, journalist Jamal Khashoggi, um, Khashoggi who was taken at the Turkish embassy or the what was it yeah the embassy in Turkey, Turkey yeah right uh, Saudi embassy in Turkey and went in one day and never left and it was later shown that he was chopped up in little bits and I think reportedly like buried in the backyard of something or something. I, I don't think they found I don't think they found they it. didn't find it that was like one of the rumors I guess but a really really gruesome display that is you know pretty par for the course for Saudi Arabia but was a departure in that it was so bold it was so outlandish and so like nakedly public that you either have to think like those guys are fucking idiots mm -hmm. or the more likely thing i feel like was they were trying to kind of test the waters because he had just done so he had garnered himself so much favor in the west yeah and this this ended up coming down to i think it was 2018 on my birthday um ah. yeah right right coincidence uh-huh um yeah. i tried to distract away in our, in our personal i family. post about it every year yeah <laughs> um never never forget never forget. yeah it, it came down to trump trump didn't do anything about it surprise um and got and got harangued for that mm -hmm. yeah let's, right, let's remember mm -hmm. again just to bring it back biden called king salman um right before attacking syria one of saudi arabia and iran's an iran ally and one of saudi arabia's i guess antagonist in the region so that was interesting weird coincidence there maybe and then right after the uh, the following day on friday um an intel report came out again concluding that mbs did in fact uh murder jamal khashoggi and gave, Biden the, said, gave the order gave the order yes i'm he sure did. he wishes he could have done it himself yeah yeah and biden uh, did not has decided not to sanction him or really do anything yeah they're not going to hold him accountable and none of this is surprising i think we were going to call this uh, a new segment called news that makes you say no shit uh <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's not surprising but it's it's just depressing and it's again like trump got so much shit for this and rightfully so mm -hmm. it was that was fucking horrible uh, and and completely outlandish and was totally just MBS flexing to show that he could get away with it. And he was right. There's no line that can be crossed when it comes to Saudi Arabia. And we're proving it. Two presidents have given him the free pass right now. I think this is also worth bringing up again that Biden did so-called halt or pause arms sales to Saudi Arabia that would be used in Yemen while pledging to continue to sell arms to Saudi Arabia to defend their um, territorial integrity. 
Only yeah. the only the defensive ones because we know Saudi Arabia is famously under siege. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah, you think you're slick, Joe. Yeah, so the world keeps turning. Saudi Arabia is probably well, I mean, they're definitely chopping up people all the time within their borders, but well, you know, we haven't seen the last of MBS. No, no. And, and, by, and by that, I mean, he's on the show next week. So you're going to want to tune in. Yeah, we, we luckily snagged that interview. I can't. We're going to. Yeah, we're going to have a heated debate. We're not about any of this. Funnily enough, we're going to talk to him about the uh, hit Netflix documentary. Don't fuck with cats uh, because we've got some we've got some varying opinions on it. And uh, he's been tweeting at us pretty hard and we asked him to come on and defend himself. So next week it's on MBS. We're gunning for you. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we don't get um, chastised for not uh, bringing up women's rights in Saudi Arabia or something like that. I mean, this is more important, man. We got to, you know, get your, get your priorities in, in, in line, potato head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was all bothersome. Yeah, I guess there's not much to really say shit. about it, even though we just said a bunch about it. But it's just, uh, I think, I think this, this, I don't know, I was just so depressed this week mm-hmm. because there was, it, there was a, uh, it was a pretty news, a news full week, a week full of news. Mm-hmm. And um, we can't, we can't accuse Biden of not living up to his promises because it really does like this week more than any other one was like, felt like we were back to normal America in the, in the worst way possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's gonna be one of those situations where you know how like a quote can just like follow a politician because they ended up fulfilling that in the worst way. And I think Biden's will definitely be, nothing will fundamentally change. Yeah. Which sucks. This section is called, you're hurting our feelings. Again, this is news that, um, it hurts our feelings personally, but it also is news that kind of, it's put out there as stuff to make you feel good or that really appeals to your emotions rather than like reportage or anything that's um, actually interesting. Yeah. And the one that I want to bring up is um, the Biden did nothing bad over the weekend story. Oh, thank God. The it, This is a New York Times article. It's called, did Washington just have an actual weekend? Question mark. And then the, the subhead to that is, President Biden is uninterested in generating headlines, which only emphasizes how the Trump-sized hole in Washington has created a sense of free time in the Capitol, physically, if not, or psychically, if not literally. And the, you know, it brings up some stuff that we talked about the past episode, which is um, playing Mario Kart at Camp David, bagels in Georgetown, football in Delaware, a Peloton devotee. I think the worst part is it actually highlights some politicians who talk about basically not doing their job. Um, well, yeah, isn't that like the main crux of the story? It was kind of like journalists and politicians were like acting like we should be stoked for them that they didn't have to do anything all weekend. Yeah, here's, here's a quote from um, Rep Ted Lieu. He's a Democrat from California. Quote, it was going from working 24-7 to sort of not working at all in a snap, unquote. Any elected officials listening, you're not supposed to tell people that. Um, people who and like let's let's not forget that like the senate and congress like they work less than like a french retiree they they have like three months off a year and they're there and and they're in what they're working like three days a week they're like these people don't work that much i know this isn't the point but it, it bothers me yeah of the optics of this of like oh it's so nice not to work and it was like you know what you're getting paid a lot of money and you're supposed to be fucking working yeah and then 
I want to want to quote. Um, this is Brian Stalter, not a friend of the show, because he, he looks like a nerd. Um, yeah, Brian Stalter. Uh, by the way, we are uh, we thought about having him on for the "Don't Fuck with Cats" debate uh, because he is pro killing cats, but we we didn't really want to. We didn't really want to weigh down the conversation with just that one existential question. Uh, so MBS had a more nuanced opinion on the uh, documentary at large. Yeah, let it be noted that we chose MBS over Brian Stalter. <laughs> um, so I'm going to quote Brian Stalter uh, about his reaction to Joe Biden apparently not doing anything over the weekend. Um, quote, as the host of a weekly show, the glaring absence of presidential Twitter scandals means I can plan ahead with the expectation that our plan will actually be implemented, unquote. Um, and then quote again, informally, we used to leave a five minute size hole in my Sunday show, expecting some sort of big news break to break on Saturday night. Now we don't assume that's going to happen anymore. <laughs> Sorry, it's just, um, you know, this, this, is, this is the news that was leading up to this one. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I hope he left a five minute gap in his show on Thursday night for yeah. Joe Biden. Sorry, I'm Brian Stelter and I'm not good at my job. Yeah. So hey, are you are you fucking kidding me? Again, this is news that was hurting um, my feelings anyways. Um, let's talk a little bit about Neera Tandon. Yes. Who's... Lady Deathstrike herself. Yeah. Right. When you want me to? <clears throat> yeah, I could do this. I mean, I think we got it. There's, there's been so much going on with her, but you know. So basically, I don't know when the vote's supposed to happen. It might go. They, they postponed it. Yeah. Yeah, they postponed it, um, which we can get into. Uh, but basically, uh, Joe Manchin said that he was going to vote not to confirm her, which has ruffled a lot of feathers um and of course joe manchin you know not doing it for any altruistic reason he's just saying it's because of her mean tweets which again i find very funny her mean tweets um but really not you know there's a lot of substantive reasons why near tannin should be nowhere near uh the budgeting committee and uh namely that she has no such experience. She's completely beholden to corporate donors. She's a union buster. I mean, the list goes on. There's, there's really, there's really, really nothing to like about this woman. Yeah. And so basically, her nomination is in peril now, and it's just really astounding to watch. Basically, the entire left just kind of banding behind her as if she's some sort of fucking folk hero uh, and really putting in, I mean, I've never seen this much political capital put into getting a nomination that no one, no one likes her who, uh, yeah, it's a person no one likes and is not good and not qualified and everyone's getting behind it really, really hard and it's strange as fuck. And, and, you know, as far as the hurting feelings thing, it's just, of course, it's, you know, it's the old, it's the usual suspects of reasoning that, oh, now we're just going after a accomplished woman of color, and this is, uh, you know, clear racist towards Asian people or immigrants or that sort of thing, um, which, you know, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen, but it happens to not apply to near attendant. I, I think the bigger story, if, if we do want to talk, you know, bring up um, some blocking nominations, presumably for if, if women of color uh, categorization, categorizations like that. I think Deb Holland, um, who's nominated, she should be the first Native American to run the Department of the Interior. 
I think I think that's more interesting than near a tandem. Yeah, it's it's disappointing to see that um, everybody is just you know circling the wagons for this person who who is toxic. And you know, um, on that note, I this Asian American woman working for the Washington Post actually showed. I want to say it's like either Marsha Blackburn or another um, Republican female uh, in the Senate, I believe some of the the mean tweets that um, Nira Tandon wrote about her. And since this Asian American reporter for the Washington Post has received death threats and all this criticism for just showing this Republican representative tweet, you know, or Senator, um, the mean things that Nira Tandon told about her, said about her. And I'm just wondering who, who, who is being mean to this Asian American reporter? And I'm pretty sure it's people who are standing Nira Tandon. So tweets do matter, you know? And I mean, again, like the Bernie bro thing sunk Bernie's narrative, Bernie's uh, uh, primary run. It's completely disingenuous. And really, I mean, the only thing I could, there's some sort of quid pro quo going on with pushing through her nomination of like someone's owed something by getting this, uh, you know, Clinton era insider on like at all costs. It's just like, like, it shouldn't take this long. She should have been, they should have just given up by now. It's like, okay, everybody fucking hates this idea. Let's get somebody else who, and you know, by the way, I don't think that whoever would replace her would necessarily be, well, I think I, I take that back. It would, most people that would replace her would probably be better, definitely by optics and not being such like a toxic presence, but also probably in policy. Um, because you again, you can't get somebody who it, it, they'd be hard pressed to find somebody as uh, compromised as Nira Tandon is. But yeah, it just seems to be like like what fucking backroom Illuminati group of hooded men are we trying to appease with this with this appointment? Like like anybody else who would have given up on by now? Like anybody else who'd be like, okay, fuck it, it's not worth it. We'll put her into a. Uh, presidential appointment somewhere she can be a fucking you know national security advisor which she's you know just as qualified for as she is for the budget committee which is to say not at all uh you know if it's that important but yeah it's just it won't go away and they're trying to sway public opinion on this really ludicrous idea that this is just all this is all racism or anti you know uh, anti-woman and it's just bullshit. Yeah. It it doesn't wash. It doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, not good luck near a tandem. I I would like somebody better. I would, I would like a better woman of color, color. If we could choose that, it'd be great. You know, I'm told they exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, there's actually a lot of them. Yeah. Um, let's do nobody asked for this. Yes. And Ben, can you set up what this section is about? So nobody, oftentimes in uh, the media, in news and also in culture, uh, we are presented with a story or a television show or in more recent years, a podcast, a film, any sort of uh, thing to be out there for public consumption uh, that nobody asked for, nobody wants, um, but like it or not, we're going to get it anyway. We we have a lot of nobody asked for this this week. So this was a this was a heavy week. I didn't really ask for anything this week. Anything we've talked about already, I didn't want. But you get it anyways. Um, Yeah, here I am. So, 
Mehdi Hassan gets an MSNBC gig. <laughs> I yeah, and I do have to quibble with that, uh, Dan, because somebody did ask for that. Oh yeah, and that and that person was Mehdi Hassan. Yeah, yeah. his entire career. I again, like I think we talked about this in our pre-show, but I thought he already had an MSNBC MSNBC yeah. show. Yeah, well, wasn't he on Peacock or something? It wasn't prominent enough. I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess Peacock wasn't enough. I don't know. I guess they're going to... Is that a promotion? I guess so. I don't know. Uh, Money-wise, probably. And notoriety. I mean, he is a little bit of a fame whore, I feel like. And, you know, I, I do kind of hate to say this because I, I, was, I was fooled for a while with uh, Mehdi. I actually really enjoyed him at the beginning, like when I, when he first came on my radar and he went to The Intercept and stuff and like, I, I enjoyed him. I, I, he's done some hardball interviews that I enjoy. Like I kind of enjoy the um, the British journalist interview style and that it's very aggressive. But it's just, I think it was once, I'll ask you in a moment, like when you started to uh, see behind the veil for him. But I think for me was after Biden was definitely uh, the nominee and he started writing, he wrote some op-ed saying that Elizabeth Warren should be his VP, I think. And he just like went through all the reasons of why she was the perfect nominee, which of course was, you know, first of all, it was never going to happen. But uh, yeah, that's when I started to like look at him a little closer and going, ah, okay, you're you're not what I thought you were. Yeah, I I agree. I see many Hassan on like um, I think he was on Question Time with Douglas Murray, who's a kind of a garbage right wing UK commentator, and just destroying Douglas Murray. Uh, that was great to see. Yeah, I know. I mean, he I think he used to work for Al Jazeera, and he was great there. I he interviewed Eric Prince once and really took him to to task there. The Eric Prince one was good. The Michael Flynn one was good. He is a good interviewer. And I mean, I think, you know, he does have, he does Paxman, right? He does this extreme UK confrontational um, interviewing that, that can be deceptive and seem that he would be more on the, the further left of the spectrum, or at least like not someone who's going to toe the party line for moderates, which is exactly what he's doing now. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I guess that's the, uh, the crux of it is that he always had higher ambitions and that ambition was getting into... Uh, you know, the elite media class, mm -hmm. which as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem like you can do both in that you can't be part of that elite class um, and also be completely a completely principled journalist. So yeah. Mehdi, you broke our hearts. Come on the show. Defend yourself. Um, Defend yourself. I, I have to talk about this Keith Olbermann tweet. Yes. God, uh, yes. this is this is like nobody asked for this times a million. Can you remind us uh, who is Keith Olbermann? Keith Olbermann is your um, residential dog catcher for journalists. Um, he famously, I mean, he's been around forever um, on MSNBC for a long time. Is he still on MSNBC? I think I, so. I don't know. Has a, has you definitely know him. Um, and as soon as Trump got elected, he took this photo of himself wrapped in an American flag and really took up this like hashtag resistance, which was lame. But in response to a, a New York Rangers, the hockey team, a player um, spoke in support of um, Alexei Navalny's treatment in Russia, and Russia responded by basically concocting a fake news story. So they say. Um, 
again, there is some some gray area with all this stuff, but um, didn't stop Keith Olbermann from speaking out against it in the most Keith Olbermann lame way you can imagine. Um, so this this tweet is on the 22nd of February, Keith Olbermann. Gotta say, I lived my entire life with the stain of Russian heritage in my family. Then came their conspiracy to alter the 2016 election. A year later, they hacked my computer, but now they've attacked my boy Panarin, a hockey player, so I'll make it official. Fuck you, Vladimir Putin. The condemnation we were all waiting for from a fucking, is he like a sports broadcaster, sports commentator? Get you a boy who can do both. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, wow. Um, First uh, bit of news is completely okay to racially slander the people of Russia. Yeah. The stain. The stain. Yikes. I mean, I know you can say whatever you want about white people, and I mostly agree with that, but uh, I almost completely agree with that. I don't care. Uh, But, yeah, the stain of Russian, it's like, oh, man. No one asked you. No one cares. Um, Russia has a great heritage. Like, yeah. Most of them are like scientists or amazing writers or I would be proud yeah, of actually, their heritage. Yeah, he acts, like, he acts like being Russian is like that you were like, like grew up in a fucking trailer park of meth heads. Not that I have anything against trailer parks or meth heads. Yeah. Some yeah. of them are lovely people. But yeah, that and the, we were talking about this in the pre-interview that uh, like that the really the i mean the whole tweet is fucking stupid but the fact that he has this uh, what is it i'll say it now fuck you <laughs> i'll make it official <laughs> i'll make it official ah uh, yes the moment we've all been waiting for to see where keith olbermann stands on vladimir putin fuck you vladimir putin i'm sure he was devastated when he read that tweet yeah yeah but yeah we were talking about this of like it's such a fucking sophomoric it really sounds to me like like you like he's like calling out a rival high school's football team. It was like, dude, you're in your 60s. Yeah. You're like, go oh, fuck him. It's like, what are you in a fucking rap beef, you loser? Do better. Are you kidding me? Yeah, do better. Uh, and uh, by the way, Vladimir Putin is not reading your stupid fucking tweets. Uh, Keith Olbermann sucks. Just, um. Oh my god. What a, like, it's so fucking lame. Like, it's, yeah, it's really this weird thing. It, it, de- it definitely is a more boomery. Burn. <laughs> well, yeah, but like a boomery fact of social media presence. It's just like, you see it a lot from the right. Like, it's like, anybody, anyone trying to take my guns could, fuck you, I hate you. And it was like, oh shit, I guess we won't do it. Now that we... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like they, they tweet as if they don't have time to like think about it. It's always on impulse. This starts off really smart and they just get so angry. It's like, fuck, clicks in, you know? And Yeah. Well, it is that, it is that sort of, again, going back, yeah, going back to like, you see it really with like alt-right people and like, you know, the, the proverbial guy giving an angry monologue while driving <laughs> seemingly yeah. nowhere sort of thing. It's like that, it's that, it's that thing of, it's that like thing of having a, fake art like having a fake argument that you're winning while you're taking a shower you know <laughs> like it's like like they yeah. love doing that like and yeah. like that's like the new thing for like the elite the elite liberal media class is instead of this fantastical uh liberal snowflake who's literally trying to steal their guns in the night like a gremlin now it's like 
it's like, man, I just, if Vladimir Putin was here, I'd give him a piece of my mind. He's just like, he, you know, it's just like, they just like, they just like, he's, Keith Olbermann is dreaming of owning Vladimir Putin by like calling him a fucking asshole or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it's just a shame because the so-called left, and I'm talking about the Olbermann types, but you know, even, even on the progressive front too, it's like, there is this space to like take the moral high ground and actually present a more cogent argument. And this is what we get. Yeah, and also don't say the stain of Russian heritage, dude. That's fucked up. That's that's really ah. yeah. Yeah, it's like you know there's other Russians, right? Not just Vladimir Putin. Um <laughs> let's 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 talk about a podcast that came up this week. Yes. So I had one and uh, you know, mostly I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie that mostly I'm worried that we have more competition, but I uh bears mentioning that we will have a new podcast hosted by Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. The boss. The boss. Yeah. I didn't see this one coming. Yeah. I mean, I I I you know, I don't want to try and be like a like catchphrase, but who the fuck asked for that? <laughs> like, so the name of the podcast, Renegades, born in the USA. And about this podcast. Renegades Born in the USA is a series of conversations between President Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen about their lives, music, and enduring love of America, despite all its challenges. Yeah, what was it? Something like they said, like two unlikely friends. Someone said, yeah. They're anyway. unlikely friends? Yeah. I, think, I, uh, I, I can see those being them being they're, they're they're very likely friends first of all because you know people talk about like celebrity presidents and obama was you know famously called like the first celebrity president and he's very much lived up to that if you haven't been paying attention for the last four years that's literally all obama does is uh or publicly is hang out with celebrities and uh, try and dismantle any progressive movement uh, behind closed doors. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's a shame because I I really like Bruce Springsteen. And... I love the boss, and I'm I'm trying not to slander him, but uh, you're testing us, Bruce, because we're questioning your loyalties. If I could separate all my animosity towards Obama, his war on whistleblowers, his wars in general. I would be really excited for this. I do think he's a great speaker, obviously. Very intelligent man, well-read man, but I can't, so I won't. And nobody asked for this podcast, so. Yeah, that's about all I can say about it. And I can't imagine Bruce, you know, uh, uh, I just feel like he's probably not that good of a talker. I did see his show on Broadway. It was great. He had a show on Broadway? Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. And did it, he star it, in it? Yeah, he starred in it. But it was it was like he just played his songs kind of and like gave the background of each song. So it would be like segments from each song. So you heard There's like a, a version. What's up? This song is about a turnpike. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Most of uh, them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I kind of gave him like a southern accent there. I'm Bruce Springsteen. He, yeah. Anyway. From Jersey. I'm working on my impressions, ladies and gentlemen. It's not going well. Um, so yeah, no one asked for that. I just wanted to, to do this next one. Um, I actually, I think this is a good good conversation starter is this, um, I was gonna read the headline. Twitter announces paid super follows to let you charge for tweets. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is something that's just like, we, we were debating this in the pre-show. Um, who's gonna utilize this more, porn or celebrities? Because I don't think this is for normal people. 
I have to think celebrities because, well, first of all, there's a lot of porn on Twitter already. Yeah. And OnlyFans seems, well, and OnlyFans goes through Twitter, doesn't it? I mean, you can share it on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, so I can't really, I other than the fact that I think they're just trying to, mo- like, monetize every aspect of social media if you can or whatever and um i don't know i mean first thought is that seem they seems like they're a little late to the game yeah maybe they're trying i I don't know are they trying to like compete with like patreon and substack and stuff like that like they're trying to make up their own version only for uh keith olderman i that's a good question i don't know i guess we're gonna have to wait and see i i i kind of wrote in some of our notes it's like first fleets now this nobody asked for fleets no one wants that no. no one, yeah, no one, Twitter, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's not like Instagram stories, which are like it, it's it's a visual, it's a visual social media tool. So it's a it's more fun to watch where it's like you're gonna share a lot of people do put like images on Twitter, of course. Like but what like the best part is seeing that on someone's timeline, right? I don't it doesn't have to be momentary or fleeting. Yeah. Frankly, I don't look at anything on Twitter unless it's been hacked. But yeah, I, I just, look at a fleet. I, yeah, I don't see I don't see really the utility of it because a OnlyFans only already exists, mm-hmm. and uh, just buy out OnlyFans. Why don't you think of that? Yeah, subscribe to our OnlyFans. Oh yeah, subscribe to our OnlyFans. We're never. In, we're, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's just us reading off Keith Olbermann tweets. Should should we do um? Got reactions? Okay, I'll go. You want, can I go first? You, I think. Yeah, you yeah. Go explain, explain what this section is. All right. So, gut reactions is we look for something uh, that strikes our eyes, uh, or gut, in, or strikes our gut in the week. Um, Dan and I do this separately. We don't tell the other one about it, and then we show the the person. So, I'm going to show mine first. Mm-hmm. Dan has never seen this, and we're going to get his gut reaction. Thought for this because we, you know, mostly we're talking about U.S. stuff, and I have wanted to, as I do. Some of you may or may not know, I do live in London at the moment, and uh, we, you know, we mostly talk about what's going on in America. But I would like to make this show a little more uh, international in its scope. Yeah. yeah. So I thought this could be a good um, easing into the uh, world of British politics. Op-ed from the Guardian, and Dan, could you just read the uh headline out there wait so before okay before you read it out i'm I'm gonna do a two-part thing so i will i will explain it i will explain it in a moment and we can discuss that but before this so i want your cut reaction and also guess what this article could be about okay so um i'm gonna read the headline this is again from the guardian um it's their opinion by marina hyde Johnson is subdued, but his dog is causing havoc. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Um, no, I mean, this this does not in- interest me at all. Aside from the fact, like, what the fuck could this be about? Okay, so wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the subhead. So yeah, yeah, the the headline is Johnson's. This is Boris Johnson. Johnson is subdued, but his dog is causing havoc. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And then subhead, forget the spad wars at number ten. The real drama is over Dylan, the prime minister's sexually incontinent canine. <laughs> um, do you think that there's a reason they didn't call him Boris for this reason? That they went with Johnson? Uh, yeah, oh, I didn't, even, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, they were going for a little uh, double entendre. Yeah, yeah. 
That's true. They usually call him Boris. I, I, I'm even more confused now. Um, how, forget, what is Spad Wars? Yeah, so Spad is uh, like a yeah, special advisor to the uh, prime minister. You give up? I, I, I'm even reading the article and I don't know what the fuck this is about. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> I think this is just a, just as a side note, uh, Guardian op-eds are insane sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading one on Bilderberg, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but they're, they're, like sometimes they're political and sometimes they're weird personal ones. It would be like, I found my husband's, yeah, going back to OnlyFans, like, I found my husband's OnlyFans page. Here's seven lessons I've learned or something. Like, there's a lot of stupid shit like that. This one is political. So Johnson, first of all, just going from the headline, uh, Marina Hyde, who is a Guardian com columnist, Johnson is subdued, but his dog is causing havoc. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Uh, and I'm going to answer that question, Marina. No one is thinking whatever you're thinking. Yeah. Uh, this mysterious, weird headline I've ever heard. So we bring up this. We bring up the uh, sexually incontinent dog. So basically, uh, last week, Boris gave a uh, address to the public about a lockdown, easing of lockdown, which is going to be happening over the next few months. We work on a tier system. We've been at the highest tier for a while. So basically, everything's shut down. Bars, restaurants, universities, uh, schools. It's really just shops are open, uh, no mixing households, all of that stuff. So just as, just as a general thing, I'm not going to get into the whole history of it, but the UK has had a, they're doing quite well with the back, uh, rollout of the vaccination now, but they've definitely had a rough go of it, not as bad as the US, um, but it's been a pretty piss poor performance from the Boris Johnson government. So he finally, and, and a, big, a big criticism over the last year has been really these half measures or, you know, not acting soon enough and when we came out of lockdown last summer, you know, he they deemed not to open up schools, but they opened they uh, prioritized pubs. But, you know, it's been uh, like a half measure that doesn't really do that much. And then, of course, we have to go back into lockdown again because it didn't work. And then cases were on the rise and stuff. This address that he gave was really the most kind of the most sensible one. So having a, you know, and, and he was a little more measured and gave a, gave a more, yeah, um, like just a, a more thoughtful timeline, it seemed. So first part of this article, and by the first part of this article, I mean like the first 80% of this article is just kind of her taking pot shots at him of like how he sucked. It's a different kind of glib they have over here uh, that's similar to left-leaning people in the States, but it's like this kind of like, very passive aggressive like who yeah you know it's just mm -hmm. yeah it's very up its own ass um when people are you know rightfully criticizing the tories but just to give you like a little uh little idea of this woman's writing so for pretty much the entire pandemic right up until about 10 minutes ago johnson has been the teacher who wants to be cool you know the type messes his hair up and calls you mate high fives you when you get the right answer but claims that in many ways there are no wrong answers tells you to call him by his first name, deals with early speculative breaches and discipline by announcing he's not going to send you to the headmaster mate because he comes at this stuff from different angles. Tells you to rip out the introduction to your pandemic textbook. So yeah, sort of painting him as this wannabe, I guess, dead poet society figure. If you were confused. Yeah, yes. <laughs> This goes on for a while. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's basically her just being mad that it's 
that it's so late in the game that he's like just basically kind of yeah saying like well you fucked up so much and like now we're we're still mad at you which is again completely fair and correct so come back to here uh well now i don't think we can pay the slightest attention to some unelected spads or unelected ministers criticizing the prime minister's partner for being unelected um so that was him talking they're talking about his uh new girlfriend or i don't know wife if they're married yeah. yet so here we get to the dog. Much more diverting is all the drama concerning Dylan the dog, who is reportedly being used by Islington bro uh, blogger Dominic Cummings to, quote, to fight a proxy war against the PM's fiance. I can't believe that A, a nation run like this has the highest death toll in Europe, and B, Dominic has time for briefings, having now surely been snapped up by one of the big Silicon Valley uh, companies. So she's talking about Dominic Cummings, blah, blah, blah. And yet I read that Cummings reportedly holds a grudge against the Jack Russell cross after it humped his leg at a number 10 away day. There is more, much more. The dog is said to have, have caused expensive damage to Checkers Antiques, while according to the mail, quote, one visitor claims to have seen Dylan mount a stool made from the foot of an elephant shot by U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not going to read too much more of this, but there's a lot of... So basically, Boris Johnson has a, uh, has a horny dog that's humping everything in sight, including like Price's Furniture at number 10 Downing Street, the prime minister's residence. And what she goes on to suggest is that you know is that it's odd that we have this like measured thoughtful prime minister in the last address to the nation and what she posits is a sort of freaky friday situation where the consciousness of the dog and boris johnson <laughs> have been swapped and the dog apparently is uh, quite the statesman and boris johnson is spending his time like humping and pissing on everything if that is not the definition of british humor i don't know what is and this woman is a Guardian columnist, and Nathan Robinson was fired, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. just to show you. <laughs> wow, it's a very it's very British humor, and like I guess it like if you could somehow condense condense that joke into like a tweet, I suppose it could be good. But she takes she rambles on so long to get there. And it's like, a long article. It's a long article, and I know you're not supposed to bury the lead, but like you have to give a little bit more of the game away than that. Of just like incontinent dog, you're thinking what I'm thinking. It's like no, no one is thinking what you're thinking. What are you talking about? Um, let me let me read you mine. Okay, it's not as highbrow. Two <laughs> things are. So this says watch in all capitals colon. QAnon supporters tell CNN reporter in shocking segment they're hoping for Myanmar-like military coup to reinstall Trump. Good luck, I guess. <laughs> I, they I'm know about that. Myanmar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want a Myanmar-style <laughs> coup to reinstall Trump. Why interview these fucking people? I just Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the main thing, isn't it? It's like shut the fuck up. Well, they need to keep it alive. Like, what was it? They just had the um, the the acting. Uh, I I didn't pull this up. I was thinking about it, but we had so much other bullshit to talk about today. Uh, but like the acting uh, chief of police in D.C. was saying that like another assault on the 
capital could be imminent, which basically it's just a excuse uh, to keep National Guard troops there basically forever now. Um, yeah. I'll make a prediction, which I normally don't like to do, but I feel like the I don't I don't think those National Guard troops are going anywhere. And yeah, this person, yeah, they, but anyway, they made a uh, they made a statement that it was like, oh yeah, the, I think it could be like the State of the Nation or something, or State of the Union, and that like they might try and blow up the Capitol. Uh, yeah, so just nonsense. And this kind of seems like the same thing. <laughs> just like, how long can we keep this bullshit alive in the hearts and minds of people? And Trump is speaking at CPAC, so we have to deal with that round of... Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I want to get back to CPAC in a second, but because uh, I did have a thought on that. Um, but, you know, I'm a little offended because CNN never talks to us about our hopes and dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I'm a, I'm a simple man, but, like, I got dreams, and they don't involve military coups, so, like, but, like, why, you know... Why the fuck can't they reach out to me? Yeah, it really does feel like a man bites dog story here. <laughs> interviewing these QAnon supporters. Oh man, I mean, I, I sort of, I sort of understand the allure of it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I think it would be fun. Like, I feel like it'd be cool, or not cool, but I feel like it'd be fascinating to like go down the Q rabbit hole, just like, talk, like talk to any of these fucks and be like, tell me everything. What do you think? Yeah, moon landing, Epstein. Well, we'll actually have a lot of similar opinions on Epstein, I'm sure. I know how the moon landing was faked, so I don't need to talk about that. But yeah, so I could get how, I don't know, maybe it's like a little bit like a drug. I feel like it's not genuine, though. I feel like it's just like, how much can we? Also, if you want to scare the American public, Myanmar is not a good way to do it because yeah. no, one's, no one's paying attention to that shit. You got you to gotta go, you gotta go old school, talk about, you know, marching on Poland or something. People aren't that informed. Um, yeah, like, now that you say that, like, that's actually a well, like, that citation is pretty astounding for someone who follows the yeah, Maybe well, Maybe you had I mean, too low expectations about their intelligence. I mean, I don't know. You got the thing is, a lot of, like, the, when you get into the deep dive conspiracy theorists, they do their research. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they don't necessarily research good source material, but they, mm -hmm. they, they put in the hours, so. Yeah. But yeah, you know, so hats off to Q, I guess, for the uh, for the specificity. Um, it's a it's a recent coup. I just don't think the tactics would uh, overlap as much. You know, the the uh, armed forces here compared to Myanmar, very different infrastructure, very different political climate. So they're a little bit out there. But I'll give them I'll give them an A for relevant or uh, you know A for relevance um, at least by current events. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't draw comparisons between um, Biden and um, Aung Su. Too young, or Aung San Kim, the um, the leader of Myanmar. That oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> the political president. Be, well, did you read the article? Maybe they go into that too. <laughs> yeah, we, we, well, um, or just what if it just turns out that Q people are super like well educated on Myanmar? Like that's the one thing that they that they're actually really astute on. Like yeah, no wonder they're so mad at CNN. They really <laughs> disservice to their uh, their intelligence. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're the experts to talk to. They actually understand the nuance. And... I think this is a good lead into news you don't care about. Ben, did you have anything? Oh, to... wait. Before this, could we just go back to CPAC for a second? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you watch any of the uh, Ted Cruz? Oh, no, but I heard it was joke, embarrassing. Joking about, yeah, I, I only watched like a clip of it, but I just wanted to talk about C CPAC for a second. I don't, I, I feel like maybe 
this is something to uh, go into. At, we'll have to talk about Trump's appearance or whatever and actually watch that. But yeah, it's like, it's, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it's like Ted Cruz giving like shitty stand up comedy. <laughs> and it seems to be like, is that where the world's going as far as like, if that's where the right wing is going, I'm all for it. It's just all these guys trying to be trying to be Trump, and yeah. they will try to do that. But if it, I'm all in for all these guys trying to like get their tight five, yeah, got- this is kind of like their. Um, I mean, it's it's the the prep for the main stage, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, they, they're doing, they try out the joke. Yeah, they're working the open mics, and because uh, I mean, it, it'll never happen because no one riffs like Trump, right? Like, yeah, no, Ted Cruz is um. You're never going to step to the goat, Ted Cruz, but no. I applaud the effort. So wait, wait, what, what clip did you see of Ted Cruz? Uh, I just saw the, the bit of him talking about, like, he made a joke about Cancun. He's like, good to be here in Miami, not as good as Cancun. And everyone's like, ha, 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 Just going back to, yeah, just going back to the thing of, like, these people don't really have much of an ideology other than they want to own libs yeah yeah they just want to piss people off and then of course like libs will fall right into the hand too like can you believe he said this it's like yeah of course i can believe he said it fucking ted cruz i can't believe he tried to be funny that's the yeah that's actually the uh that's actually the bombshell yeah that's more offensive really (laughs) you had uh something for for news that you don't care about you had uh our man in libya our man in libya uh yes so eric prince Eric Prince is uh, back in the news. What everybody wanted to hear. Yeah, for those of you who may not remember of Blackwater fame, Eric Eric Prince is a uh, former Navy SEAL and a uh, heir to a some sort of billionaire family, right? And also the brother of Betsy DeVos, the uh, ex uh, or the, uh, the Secretary of Education under Trump. So Eric Prince founded Blackwater, which became famous back in 2007 after the Nisor Square massacre happened in Iraq. The Blackwater is a private military contractors. He since then rebranded and he's been all over the place, but he's back in the news as, uh, so just reading from The Intercept here. So would you mind telling me what the Nisor Square massacre is? Right. So the Nisar Square massacre happened in 2007 when employees of Blackwater Security Consulting, um, which I believe is now called Academy. So they were doing they were contracted to do uh, security services in Iraq for the uh, U.S. government. And they hit, uh, I suppose, what Marines would call a little bit of a snafu. Um, that came out of nowhere. So basically, they were at this crowded uh, market square, Nisar Square and decided to just open fire on kind of everybody in the square. Um, they were, yeah, they were escorting a uh, U.S. Embassy convoy. And yeah, so they just like, they, they thought there was a threat, as often happens in these places, um, not threats, people thinking there's threats, and ended up just opening firing on fucking everybody and killed 17 people and injured, injured 20 more. Uh, so that was that was Blackwater. Uh, they got yeah. Why did they hate us? Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine why. So yeah, that was Blackwater. It was a big deal at the time. Some of the people who perpetrated it uh, were charged, and then I think just recently uh, pardoned by Trump. Yes. Um, but yeah, basically all the people at the bottom got charged for kind of you know giving sweetheart deals anyway, compared to uh, you know being 
having the name synonymous with a massacre. But anyway, Eric Prince kind of uh, went into obscurity and he's just sort of, I mean, like we can get into him as a person in a moment, but he has been back in the news. And I just want to read this, the first line from um, Guardian article by Matthew Cole. In 2019, Eric Prince, the founder of the notorious mercenary firm Blackwater and a prominent Donald Trump supporter, aided a plot to move US-made attack helicopters, weapons, and other military equipment from Jordan to a renegade commander fighting for control of war-torn Libya. A team of mercenaries planned to use the aircraft to help the commander, Khalifa Hifter, Hifter. Yeah. yeah, Khalifa Hifter, a US citizen and former CIA asset, defeat mm -hmm. Libya's UN-recognized and US-backed government. While the UN has alleged that Prince helped facilitate the mercenary effort sources with knowledge of the chain of events, as well as, a doc, as well as documents obtained by the Intercept reveal new details about the scheme, as well as Prince's year-long campaign to support Hifter in his bid to take power in Libya. So yeah, this is, a, this is news you probably don't care about, um, but you should for a few reasons. There, you know, there's a lot there. First of all, uh, let's not forget that Libya is a fucking war zone and that came directly from Obama policies. It's still very, so basically, yeah, he was trying to uh, lend support to this kind of, yeah, this warlord who's an ex-CIA asset. And uh, he was trying to do it by way of, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but trying to do it by way of the crown prince of the United Arab Emirates. I believe mm -hmm. it's MBZ. They all get acronyms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I think, I think it's interesting for a few reasons. First of all, it's just Eric Prince is never going to go away. He's just like a, like a herpes sore that keeps coming back up and kind of keeps coming back up in new extraordinary ways. Like some, he'll like disappear and fail and then somehow come back with more power. Yeah, we love a comeback story in the United States. I think also for all of you liberal people who are really into the Russia Gate spy fantasy shit, like if you want sexy intrigue stuff you don't need to go to fake stories there's real people like that like people like he is a real bond villain actually eric prince son of a son of billionaires became a navy seal runs a mercenary army and by the way on the side note i'm pretty sure that he's been trying to get into like the africa market because basically he's trying to like consolidate control of minerals um also under more, trump more bond villain than you could yeah yeah under under trump was kind of trying to float the idea that he would that we would completely outsource uh the u.s military effort in the middle east so and yeah. that he would run it so basically saying that he wanted to become like viceroy of of the middle east has a lot of shady dealings with china and like creating his own private air force so he is a real life bond villain and then also i just think it's important to remember um remember military contractors in general because I don't, it's something we don't give enough thought to and i think it would i think it bears mentioning that these forever wars that we find ourselves in i don't think they would uh i, I don't think they could operate the way they do if we didn't have um private contractors doing a, doing kind of the bulk of the work yeah they, they deserve some more recognition yeah wonderful boys in black yeah yeah no i i think this is definitely something to, to think about um especially just like giving the the context of libya over what almost like the last decade now um which increasingly seems like a divide and conquer policy i mean i think that you have france it, it is such a strange conflict it's like you have france russia and like the uae on one side 
and then you have like the United States, Britain, and um, like Italy or someone on the other side of it. It really is meshed into geopolitics more than anything. And of course, like the people of Libya do have to suffer. And again, if you do have like allies on the opposite sides of the conflict, again, I can't see this other, anything other than 21st century divide and conquer uh, strategy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so this is uh, some, some local politics that uh, this person I follow on Twitter shared. Um, I'm just going to read the headline, then I'll, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Um, it says, Missouri, this is from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Um, so Missouri Senate gives preliminary approval to bill that creates new protections for police, increases penalties for protesters. Basically, since the, the Mike Brown incident, which I think was in 2015, maybe 2014, and if you don't remember, Michael Brown was killed by a white police. He's a black teenager killed by a white police officer. His body was basically left out in the, the hot sun just to, to roast, essentially, as he, as he died. And there was a lot of protest about it, especially in the St. Louis area, of course. Um, people would do die-ins. Basically, you would go into a public place and to disrupt traffic, you would pretend as if you were a dead body. Um, they did this in the large mall in St. Louis called the Galleria. And they also did this on, and this is specifically to the article, they did this on highways to block traffic. So you were starting to see this backlash against, um, again, as the, as the headline says, against protesting and protections and increased protections for police. So I just want to read um, this law enforcement bill of rights, or excuse me, listen to the bill. So Eigel, who is a Republican um, promoting this bill, uh, here are the five provisions. So a law enforcement bill of rights for officers under investigation, um, increased penalties for protesters who block traffic, increased penalties for protesters who vandalize monuments, the right for taxpayers to obtain court orders against municipalities that cut police budgets much more steeply than those of other departments, a prohibition on granting probation or conditional release to people who have committed dangerous felonies against on-duty law enforcement officers or first responders. So these are, again, it's it's more of a criminalization of protest and increased protections for police. So I who knows if this will have any um, permeating effects outside of the St. Louis area, but I do think that we are getting into more of this, this world where we do criminalize protest and start to, again, give more protections to state law enforcement. Yeah, we'll start having our free speech zones where you can only protest in this certain thing. You know, yeah, uh, I, I always hate this argument where it's like, I, I just wish they didn't block traffic. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the point, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can ignore them. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work unless it disrupts stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Goddamn.